Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be on the Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about, I don't know, man, like, I just don't know, man. I was thinking of something before we even started, and like, my brain kind of snapped because we were talking about books while we were waiting for our equipment to start. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been... A week since we had our COVID vaccines, our first round, Austin had some man flu for a couple of days. I have a still growing bruise at the injection site, but I think that just means my tracking implant is just making sure it's really in there. I know. I probably didn't get the tracking implant because let's be honest, who would want to track me? Uh, who would bother to track me? I don't go places. <laughs> yeah. It's, I could probably track Maybe you. you're not being tracked because you're a government worker. <gasps> Ooh, I'm like, I am a government worker in the vaguest possible sense of the word. Speaking of working, we were talking earlier and for at least the next couple of weeks, we are, we're still going to be making new episodes each week, but we are going to switch up our formatting a little. Uh, this coming week, so you'll hear this on Tuesday, this current week then is my last week at my current job, which is bittersweet, like I've mentioned in the past. And then I start my new job the following Monday. So we were thinking in order to so to me, yeah, in order to let me get used to the new way of life, get eased into it. For at least a few weeks, we're gonna switch off so that one of us does a deep dive into a topic and the other one is still here and still responding. Kind of like we did on Austin's Rebecca Harkness episode and your Sarah Jane Moore episode. Yeah, we'll be doing that for at least a few weeks and you know, let us know on the Twitter at on the test pod if you really, really hate it or really, really love it, because um, we're not sure if it'll be permanent or not. We're currently just planning on a few weeks while I get adjusted to my new life. And and of course, at the same time, while she's adjusting to a new job, stuff is opening up again and we have to start getting used to doing stuff and seeing people. It's been like a year. Yeah. How do you socialize? Yeah, I actually um, like had a panic attack at the idea of going into a place the other day, and like we're like I mentioned, we're half half vaccinated, I guess technically, like we've got some level of protection, and then a month from now or so, we'll have a full protection. And just the idea of going into a place, even with masks on, I had a panic attack. Like, because how much humming are you supposed to do when you hug people? I've forgotten. I feel like it should be no humming, but part of my brain says. You need to be humming. Okay, while we're on the subject, can we go away entirely from this culture of hugging? Like, hugging should be never forced on somebody, as I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, if you are close enough and you've come to realize that, yes, both of you would be, would be fine with a hug. That's great. But otherwise, I'm a hugger isn't an acceptable excuse to hug somebody without their permission. Nope. And if somebody tenses up when you hug them, it means they're not a hugger and you need to let go. Yeah. And of course, because we never record these things early, it's Easter. It is Easter today. And that, I don't know, Austin, you're taking the day off work tomorrow. Do you want to, you know, dress yourself up in full hazmat gear and see if you can get some after Easter candy? I absolutely could. I actually had to, or, hilariously, now that the pandemic is over, um, work is getting serious about protective equipment for opening mail again. So we're getting like more masks, more gloves and goggles. And we don't have those in our house. But actually, no, we have all of those in our house, but, but not for, from your work. But for opening mail and like they were trying to say, and you need these Tyvex bodysuits. And I drew the line at that. But who knows? Maybe I might have to order them and like just start wearing them to the grocery store. I am so disappointed that you said no to that. I am so disappointed in you right now. 
because I feel like that would have made for some like really bizarre movie down the line <laughs> where it's like the the real work librarians do. Yeah. It's like Congo. Exactly. I, I don't know why Congo is the first movie that comes to mind when I imagine this. You mean like Andromeda Strain? I think Congo is the first movie I ever saw in theaters that really scared me. I thought Congo was hilarious. I was, God, how old were you? Like nine? Yeah. And it was like a disease and there were, yeah, Congo was the one with the, with the apes that got like, that spread a disease, isn't it? No, Congo is the one with the white gorillas who are guiding, guarding King Solomon's diamond mines. It had Tim Curry in it. And they end up having to fight gorillas with a laser. What movie am I thinking of? Outbreak. Oh. Either way, Congo scared me too, I know. They're the same movie. There are monkeys. Yes. Exact same movie. Oh my God. So who gets to, you get to start this week, don't do you? I? Yeah, you do. Okay. All right. So today, it's been a while since I've done a mystery, I feel like. Ooh. Um, although I don't think there's anything especially mysterious about this. There, but if you want there to be. And that's coming from me. And I am like the one who, whenever somebody mentions Elon Musk, I whisper lizard person. So <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You can actually hear that in the last week's episode. Uh, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, all of them. Well, again, uh, my theory is Jeff Bezos is the uh, puppet government set up by the CIA when they overthrew Santa Claus because he was dangerously dangerously socialist, giving away toys to everybody. So they set in a pro-capitalist Santa, and he went rogue, shaved off all of his hair, and turned the elves into Amazon because, let's face it, his warehouse practices are as exploitative as Santa was with his elves. Bezos is fake capitalist Santa. But Santa wasn't socialist. You got toys or like literal punishments inside of your socks, depending on how good or bad he somehow deemed you. But he wasn't you. selling these toys. He was giving them away. And now like he's got socialist. spies in your house in the form of elves on the shelves. Or Alexa. Oh, dude, that thing is always listening. My my targeted ads are getting a little weird again. Yep, I've been saying pro-union things around Alexa, and I'm starting to get some crazy shit advertised towards me. All right, so anyway, today we're talking about Roanoke. Oh, I know a little bit about Roanoke. Mostly I know that um, we were planning on going there before the mm -hmm. world ended. And yeah, there's we a were planning musical. Our trip. There there's is. a musical about Roanoke, and we were going to see it, but yeah. Yeah, we were actually like shopping for tickets and figuring out the best way to get to Roanoke. Or we were actually going to go out to Hatteras, I think, because it's near enough to Roanoke. And. We were like, well, you know, the airport's really far away. Will we rent a car? Is there a shuttle? Like, we were trying to figure all that out. And then that week, the world shut down. Yeah. And so there apparently, though, is every summer a musical that, that in my head, is the Taylor Dozy history of, um, of Stars, Stars Hollow. Hollow. I'm sure it's better produced than that, but in my head, is that's it? what it is. Is it? We don't know, because we didn't get to go. And Austin's never been to the Outer Banks, and I have, and it's beautiful out there. It's really beautiful out there. It sounds gorgeous and fun. He hates the beach, though. He's afraid of the ocean. I'm not afraid of the ocean. I have a healthy respect of the ocean. And it's sharks. He has and it's jets. He has a shirt that says, you enter the ocean, you enter the food chain. It's not wrong. <laughs> um. So, Roanoke, I don't know about you, but it was mentioned in school for me, but it was like, an, ooh, let's look at this mysterious side note. Now we moved on. Because they were like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Except it was actually very important in a lot of ways. Ooh. 
Not and not just because over a hundred people just disappeared, which you know is just on a human level important. So Roanoke Colony, first of all, is not the same as Roanoke, Virginia. This explains why for a long time I thought it was in Virginia, because there is a Roanoke, Virginia. It is not there. It is in North Carolina, uh, which is part of the Outer Banks. The area is in as part of the Outer Banks. Uh, so long story short about the founding of Roanoke. There was kind of like this race to see who could have the first permanent colony in the in North America. And Roanoke barely missed out on it. There was a place in Newfoundland that beat us. Damn it, Newfoundland. But not by, and by us. I don't know who us is in this situation because I don't know about you, but I'm not English. Um, <laughs> actually, a little bit. You're, you're more English than me. I'm mostly Scottish, which is not the same. If you actually might, then that means you might actually be less English than me. Um, so Queen Elizabeth I had given a charter to Humphrey Gilbert, and then he died. So the charter was divided between his brother, Adrian Gilbert, and his half-brother, Walter Raleigh, who we did hear about a little bit in yeah. school. We didn't hear about Adrian Gilbert. Uh, Raleigh was given the southern area, and Adrian Gilbert was given the northern area, even though a lot of the southern area was owned by Spain already. <laughs> he was told to go establish a colony by 1591, or he would lose his rights to do so. But she was also like, but you can't go. You got to send someone else. So he had to send some other people. Uh, he sent an expedition with two ships. It was called the Amadas Barlow Expedition. They made it to the general area and had good interactions with the local char- tribes, bringing back a Secatan man named Juan Chese and a, Cro- a Croton man named Monteo uh, to help the English tell Raleigh about the area that they were hoping to colonize. Monteo was friendly with everyone. Uh, he actually seemed, and this, of course, is being told from a white perspective. Who knows how, but... It's like, who knows how voluntary all of this was? Well, he and Juan Chese, who's, I apologize, I'm probably saying his name wrong, um, had very different views on this whole thing. Monteo was like, yeah, and he was, you know, he was learning some English, and he was really, like, he was on board with them coming and moving there. Well, Juan Chese was like... No. He refused to learn any English. He communicated as little as possible. He viewed himself as a captive and not a guest. Uh, the people who were hosting them actually did start to learn their language so that there, it was kind of like a gesture of goodwill in all of this. Um, so they did ultimately, um, it did work. And Queen Elizabeth was like, yeah, you can, that, that sounds like a good area to colonize. So both men were returned home in the end. Uh, I couldn't find any indication that they didn't plan to send them home regardless of how this turned out. It's like, I didn't find anything to say. It's like, well, if it doesn't work, we're going to kill you. I didn't find anything like that, but who knows? So the return voyage contained seven ships, including the Tiger, which Juan Chese and Monteo were on. Uh, the tiger got separated from the others during a severe storm, ended up in the Caribbean, but actually made it to the place all the ships were supposed to meet before the other ones did. Many of the ships never arrived at that place. One of them sank during the storm. Uh, they managed to save some of them. I don't know. I don't think they saved all of them. Another had to stop somewhere else because it ran out of supplies. But in the end, most of them ended up in the Outer Banks, even though they missed the meeting point. They just ended up there late. The tiger was the source of a lot of the problems that were to come, though. They hit a shoal, which is basically a piece of land just below the water surface, uh, which was extremely close to the destination. No. Like, spitting distance from the destination. It's like getting a flat tire on your exit on the highway after a big road trip. Oh, no, this is more like getting a flat tire as you're about to pull into your driveway. Oh. And then getting hit by it and then having your car get hit by a car. No. That's what happened here because they lost all of the supplies just about. That's bad. Yeah. Really close to their final destination. 
They lost almost all of their supplies because the tiger was carrying most of them. Some sources say they'd planned to have as many as 600 people in this new colony, but they realized that what was left could only support about 100. So that's the number that stayed and everyone else left. Uh, Ralph Lane was left in charge and they were just told, wait until the next fleet with supplies shows up. So they wait and they wait and they wait. And that doesn't arrive because they were redirected to Newfoundland because the Spanish were starting to attack English ships and they were sent there to warn the English. And by the time they did get to Roanoke, their supplies were pretty much gone. So the Roanoke colony had to depend a lot on the local tribes for their supplies. Except uh, because they were white, they were working with one of the tribes, lost a cup while they were there, accused the tribe of stealing it. The tribe was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And when they couldn't produce the cup that had been quote unquote stolen, they burned down the village. That that all tracks. Yes, which is, of course, a very good idea when you need people around who are supposed to help you with stuff. Um, and definitely didn't help Juan Chese's view of them in the long run. No. Uh, a lot of other expeditions from Roanoke happened, like they were going around to all these different places, but that's not what I'm getting into too much. Suffice it to say, it was an important central location that allowed colonists to explore the entire area of Virginia. It was reasonably well fortified. It was reasonably like the, the tribes around it, for the most part, were friendly with them. It was a good spot. And it was supposed to be a permanent colony. It was supposed to be the first permanent colony in what would later become the United States. Of course, that was later on to be Jamestown, if I remember everything correctly anyway, because Roanoke didn't quite make it. Um, and Monteo had actually told them, like, this is the place you want to be if you want to learn as much as you can, especially if you want to learn the magical route to the Pacific Ocean that they believed was just on the other side of Virginia. What? Yeah, they were trying to get to China. <laughs> They thought that they could get to China via Virginia somehow. I mean, you can now, but it's via airport. Yes. And I think you have to stop in LA. You got to stop a couple of times, I think. Uh, but within a few months, the relationship between the colonists and the Secatin tribe was in bad shape because the colony was taking so much of their food. There was a man named, and guys, I really couldn't find pronunciations for these, Granjan who had been advocating for the colonists, but he died and the man who took over when Gino changed his name to Pimisapapan, meaning one who watches. But the English that is ominous. The English didn't realize he meant the one who watches you, you white bitches. They did not make this connection of that when they... he took over, it could be about them. Um, more expeditions were happening. More hostilities arose, which slowed down Ralph Lane, who was the governor, and his party and caused them to come back late from meeting with this tribe and well, with another tribe. And Pimisapan had begun to take away support the Sekatan were giving the colonists because he's like, oh, they're not coming back anyway. They're already dead. Like they believed that Lane and his party, who had been on an expedition, were dead. And then Layden showed back up and he's like, God damn it. So he changed his mind because that was, you know, the big tough guys that were back now. Even though they came back, they were half starved. They were not in good shape. Um, during this, Lane's group had taken a man named Skitko hostage and used him as a go-between between the colonists and Pimisapan. Um, who be uh, Now, he believed that Skiko was on the side of the Native Americans, but Skiko's father had believed that the colonists could be like an asset to the area and that we should all get along. And Big in mistake. And in his, in his father's memory, he decided to side with the colonists. So he double agented on, um, on the Native Americans and told the colonists what the plans were. Which ultimately ended up with Pimisapan's head impaled outside of the fort. 
Who did the impaling? We did. I don't know who exactly. They, there was a battle. What? There was a battle. He ran. We shot him. We cut off his head. We put it on a spike. But he was helping the colonists. No. no oh, oh Pinamus. Oh, Pinamus upon, not Skitko. Yeah, Skitko is the okay. reason that we knew the, the attack oh, was okay. going Sorry, to I, happen. I got my names mixed up. Yeah. Um. Finally... So the, all the, none of this gets mentioned in school. And no. I'm giving like the very briefest of possible overviews, yeah, guys. This don't... is a lot. And this is not the Roanoke that goes missing, by the way. What? This is also not the one in Virginia. Finally, this group of Roanoke colonists contacted somehow Sir Francis Drake. Sir, Fa- Fr- Sir Francis Drake. Yeah, he was on an expedition somewhere nearby. They somehow managed to get hold of him. He was headed to England at this point, And Drake was like, oh, OK, you guys are in trouble. So he stopped by. And dropped off four months of supplies in one ship. He's like, I got this extra. It's cool. But a hurricane hit and that extra ship was washed out to sea. So Drake came back and he was like, I'll take you back to England. So they were like, cool. So they got on the ship along with Monteo and another man named Toei. The colony, the Roanoke colony, was evacuated. So what? Now, this is all men. These are men who are there on an expedition. This is not the Roanoke that we learned about. There, were, This is the first Roanoke. There's a second and a, a third Roanoke. Yes. There are other Roanokes. Um, now, there were there was a small group left behind. I, I couldn't tell from what I read if this was from the initial group or if they came in from somewhere else. But basically, there were supposed to be 15 guys kind of keeping an eye on Roanoke after this. But everybody else went back to England. And Sir Francis Drake saved everybody else. They deserted Roanoke. They were like, this is a bad place. Nothing good is happening here. Clearly, we are not supposed to be here. Let's get the fuck out. Shut it down. Exactly. So this is the universe saying you shouldn't be here. And they actually listened. They were like, okay, universe, peace out. We're gone. Despite this, Walter Raleigh, still in charge of all this, decides to try again. He was fully aware that Roanoke wasn't safe, though. So he thought, what about Chesapeake Bay? And they were like, yeah, Chesapeake Bay sounds great. Good. Let's do it. Also, I mean, Chesapeake Bay was so much closer to the Pacific Ocean. That was his actual yeah. rationale. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Obviously, it's this It's safer one. and it's so close to the Pacific Ocean. You just go a little bit farther inland and you are at the Pacific and then you just go straight to China. I feel like it's actually further from the Pacific Ocean. But... I don't know geography well enough for that, but I know it's not near well, the Pacific. I can just say you know it better than they did, so... So about 115 people agreed to go, including John White, who was going to be the governor. He was an artist, too, I saw during this. So he wasn't like politician or military. His pregnant daughter, Eleanor, and her husband, Ananias Dare. Most of the others were middle class people from London who hoped to become the equivalent of nobility in the new world. And Monteo and Toei came back. Other women and children were aboard, but no military was sent this time, despite knowing how dangerous things had gotten in this general area, even though they weren't going back to Roanoke. The trip began on May 8th. They landed on Croatoan Island on July 22nd. This is right by Roanoke, but this was like a stopping point. Uh, White took 40 men over to Roanoke to talk to the 15 men who were supposed to be there, and all they found were the bones. Oh. The men were either gone. They found the bones of it sounded like one man. Everyone else is gone. That's the real mystery here. We don't know where the rest of the fucking bones went. What happened to these 15 guys? We do, we do kind of know what happened to them, we think. But what? where are the rest of the bodies? Okay, I've got, like, I've got the real world explanation, but I'm going to go with what the internet has probably taught everybody. Aliens. Yes. Aliens took them. Yes. So they're like, oh, shit. So they go back to the ship so they can go to Chesapeake Bay. And then there is a dude who has kicked everybody else off the ship and said, you guys can't come back. 
because Simon Fernandez, the pilot of one of the ships, decided to mutiny. And he abandoned all of the colonists on Roanoke. We weren't supposed to be there. That was never the plan. They knew this place had some real bad karmic energy happening. But Simon Fernandez, who also was sometimes a like a Navy guy, sometimes a pirate, he kept a bunch of the crew. And it's believed he took the ship to the West Indies to do some privateering. Wow. Yeah. So they were abandoned at Roanoke. And they had to make do with whatever they had on their person at the time. And it does sound like they were able to take some personal effect with them and stuff because... Like, as we've read in the years since, like, we find stuff that is not strictly necessary and stuff that was not found from the land, like, personal stuff was found. So it sounds like it wasn't a total, like, you know, I'm taking all of your jewelry kind of mutiny, but it was a get off my ship. It's like, like, take your children, get off my boat. Yeah, Fernandez kicked everybody out. We weren't supposed to be there. Now that we have all these people in this colony that already had to be evacuated once because of a lack of supplies and a tenuous at best relationship with nearby tribes, they sent Monteo and one of the colonists to the Crotones uh, to improve their relationship, which is how they found out that the 15 others had been killed by a different tribe led by Lanchese. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they deserved it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's it is just so interesting to me that these two men. You know, we got Manteo and we've got Lanchese. Scrolling back to double check. Yep, had such different experiences with the same thing, different interpretations of the same thing. Because there also is at no point a time when Manteo decides to attack. He go acts as for the entirety of this. He acts as go between. Now the question remains: Was was it just their own interpretations of what was happening? Were they actually treated differently? Was Monteo brainwashed and Wanchese wasn't? Like, it's hard to tell. We don't know. We weren't there. Lost my spot. So it wasn't aliens. Well, we still don't know what happened to all the bodies. Like, why wouldn't, why would there be what? I, I could see there being like, we're leaving one skeleton behind as a, hey, fuck you. But why, why even bother? Why take the other ones? Why not just loot them and leave them? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was like, maybe it was, maybe they were eaten by moose, mooses. Well, there would still be like bones, though, like not full skeletons, but the, the moose dragged bones. them off into the woods. I don't think that's how that works. Also, m- moose aren't carnivores. That's what Big Moose wants you to think. Oh, okay. Found it. Okay. So the remaining 15 had been killed by a different tribe led by Wanchese. Uh, the Croatan then worked as a go between for the colonists and Wanchese's tribe because they still were like, we didn't ever really have a big problem with you guys. So, yeah, we'll talk to them, see if we can work out something, have them not come back and kill you. Manchese's tribe was like, yeah, no, fuck you. So then we went to go do a preemptive strike, and I couldn't quite tell if it was a Manchese's tribe or a different tribe. But we would go to do a preemptive strike on another tribe. But they had figured out that we were going to do this preemptive strike. So they left. But there are people there who obviously we killed anyway, who turned out to be Croatan looters. They had just gotten there first and were taking the supplies. So we killed a bunch of the people who uh, were on our side. Yeah. Hey, um, a preemptive strike against people unrelated to our perceived enemy is about the most American thing mm-hmm. I could think of. And it started right at the beginning. Luckily for them, Monteo was still here and went to them and cleared everything up. He was like, we were there to do this preemptive strike. We didn't know it was you guys that were already there. Um, clear everything up. And this is where I kind of wonder about the uh, about the brainwashing thing. He was ultimately baptized and he was named Lord of Roanoke and Dasa Mongoponke, which was the name of the village they had tried to attack. 
So he was now lord of the village where they had accidentally killed people they weren't that they were friends with. Hey, that's a prime post. You want to be, you know, lord of the murdered village. There's no ghosts there. <laughs> now in school, we did learn about Oceanus, the boy who was born on, on the Mayflower. They're like, that's the first ever American baby. Uh, yet yeah, no. I mean, ignoring all of the natives, mm-hmm. the millions upon millions. We never really learned about Eleanor Do- Eleanor Dare's baby Virginia, who was technically the first colonist child born in the country. Yeah, but her name's Virginia. That's she like was a... named Virginia because they were supposed to be in Virginia. Yeah, that's a um, more normal name than Oceanus. Yeah. Well, and also, I can't. Like, it wasn't North Carolina yet. I think it was still like it was part of Virginia back then. So she was named after the place that they were. She was born. Uh, not long after that, the colonists were getting ready to relocate. They were like, this is not a good spot. We need to go. Um, and they convinced the governor to go back to England to get them help and supplies so they could make this relocation. But when he got to England, the Spanish Armada was mobilizing and Queen Elizabeth refused to allow any ship to leave England in case the ship was needed in battle. Spain! A few months later, they tried to head to the Caribbean to attack the Spanish. And they were, and so White was like, can I please come? Can I bring some supplies out to my family? And they were like, yeah, sure. It's like, we're going to go to the Caribbean. We're going to attack the Spanish. And we'll just head up north. It'll be fine. Bad weather. Stopped that. Then a few months later, he was allowed to take two ships that were considered unsuitable for battle and go back to Roanoke. But the guys who were captaining those ships were like, uh-uh, my dick is not that small, and decided to attack some Spanish ships along the way. That's not what, why they didn't make it, though. They got attacked by French pirates. <laughs> what? A bunch of them were killed. The rest had to turn back to England after their supplies were taken. So those ships didn't make it. And then so the ban is still in effect, and White couldn't get permission to return to Roanoke until 1590. During the three years White was gone, and the whole time his daughter is there, his son-in-law is there, his grandbaby is there, like, there's no way this guy is sleeping well at night for three solid years. The Spanish Empire had been gathering intelligence on Roanoke. In fact, they had been doing this since the first abandonment, since before the first abandonment. However, I don't know how good of a job they were doing because they didn't know the desertion had happened or that the group or that a new group had arrived to replace them. Oh. Um, well, I mean, it's not like they had like the phones or internet. It's like it's like maybe this letter will make it back to Spain at but some point in time. Spain assumed that this was the English harboring pirates and running like a pirate ring out of Roanoke. That that would be so much cooler than what it actually was. They also believed that they had a mountain made of diamonds and a route to the to the Pacific Ocean because apparently the Spanish also struggled with geography. And a mountain made of diamonds. Yes. But that would make diamonds worthless. However, in 1588, which is the year after uh, White left to go, the year after the year, same year as, not long after White left back to England to get supplies, the Spain was like, fuck it. And they actually went there to actually thoroughly investigate and Roanoke was abandoned. Ooh. So we know that they were gone very quickly after White, White left. Um, and there were some Did other- Did not learn that. Yeah. There were some rumors that Spain had like killed them and stuff. There is no evidence of it. Spain said some stuff, tried to make themselves look good about it, but they later even were like, no, it never happened. We just went there and there was no one there. But White had no idea this was going on. He hadn't been able to communicate with them for three years. And he and two ships landed on Croatan Island on August 12th. As far as anyone knows, he didn't try to talk to any of the members of the tribe, which is weird because they had all been friendly when he left. They spent a few days trying to get to Roanoke, and they kept seeing fires on the island, like plumes of smoke from, like, presumably campfires or whatever. But there's, like, a narrow waterway between the two. 
And it was so dangerous for some reason that like people died in these few days trying to get to Roanoke from this what? island. So it was like the island is trying to keep us out. That's what it is. The island is like, no, you do not belong here. You, the colony was. And we wanted to go on vacation here. I'm glad we've researched this. Oh, no, we're totally going here. Okay. We weren't staying here. We were staying actually more on like the general area that they're trying to oh. get from. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so finally they do get across and a lot of people, oh, okay. A lot of people died trying to get over there. They were finally able to. Oh my God. Sorry, my um my grammar checker I was using freaked out and deleted like four paragraphs here. No. So I'm gonna try my best to remember it. They get across. They they see that they have done some building. There are fences that are now up. On a tree was not the word Croatoan. Just the C R O was on a tree. The new fence had the entire word Croatoan on it. And they're like, okay, so they were doing some building. They're trying to fortify this place. All right. Then they go past it and they find that everything is gone. I mean, gone. Like the houses. Not destroyed. Physically gone. What? The houses had been, been dismantled and taken somewhere. Anything that could be carried was carried somewhere. Anything that was left had visibly been looted, including stuff of White's himself. Like he found some of his old shit that had been clearly looted by someone else. So everything, it was not burned down. It was not destroyed. It was taken apart and gone. It was it had disappeared. So they're like, okay, fine. Um... And he tells the guys, here's the thing. I told them that if they were to leave, they were supposed to leave me some kind of marker, some kind of sign to tell me where they went. They wrote Croatoan on a fence. They wrote Crow on a tree. Clearly, they went to this tribe. I need to go there. And they're like, okay, cool. Um, No. What? This was a this was them them doing him a favor. They were already behind because of how many people how many days it had taken to get to the island to get to Roanoke. How many people had died? They were supposed to be going somewhere else this whole time. They were doing him a favor. So finally, one of them agreed on a. This is me doing this from memory, guys. So sorry, if something's wrong because it deleted my notes. They were doing him a favor. So they're like, okay, we'll go down to the Caribbean for the winter. We'll get our work done. After the winter, we'll restock. We'll come back up here and you can find them. And he was like, okay, cool, cool. Just a few more months. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. They end up having to go back to England. No. Uh, I think it was weather got involved. But basically, White never got to come back. And then it deleted a whole bunch of stuff. But basically, Sir Walter Raleigh, this is me doing this from memory again. It was in his... Oh, okay. White got back, said they're they're still alive. They left me these signs. Someone needs to go find them. Well, Raleigh put made that hush hush because it was in his better interest for people to think that there was a good chance they were dead because since he had never actually been there he might lose his claim to Roanoke Colony so so he started to quote unquote send people to look for them oh my god this is my favorite part I'm so mad it got deleted he was like okay I'm sending people to go look for the lost colony he later admitted that that was to cover up his hunt for Eldorado what yeah he was then later charged with treason and lost all rights to all of this anyway, but that's where he, that's everything, everything goes away with him now. He is no longer in charge of anything and therefore can't help. Then Bartholomew Gilbert shows up, who I assume was related to the other Gilberts. Uh, 1603, he decided he actually wanted to go find them. And this is, you know, years later, but he's like, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to go find them. They land and are immediately killed by Native Americans. Oh. Nobody knows why. Like they're. I'm going to say that uh, the Native Americans sense the pattern. Well... It de- we don't even know which group of Native Americans it was, yeah. as far as I could tell. 
it could have been the ones that hated us. It could have been some kind of mix up. It could like we don't know. But all we know is that this guy who actually made like the one real effort to go find them was immediately killed. Uh, then Jamestown was established in 1607. And John Smith, as we know, was taken by Powhatan. And when he talked to the leaders, they discussed a place called Okanahanan, where the men wore European clothing and a known where the men, where the families had walled houses. These are villages that tribes live in. These are not normal things for them to have. So, you know, we, we know what happens with John Smith, not in the Disney way, but let's pretend. <laughs> yeah, the uh, let's let's not talk about the gross real thing that happened. Hey, and I'll actually I don't want to say anything because I'm wrong. But if my memory serves correctly, there was never an, any indication that he and Pocahontas actually had any kind of actual relations of any sort, other than her going like, "Hey, play maybe don't kill everybody." <laughs> like she was ten. Yeah. Um, and John Smith was like, there was a girl there. John Smith, like, if nothing else, John Smith took a lot of notes on everything he ever did. And he was not good at spelling. But no one was back then. Everything was weird. Well, actually, like spelling and grammar didn't really exist yet. That's a whole other thing. But um, that's why there are many different spellings of Shakespeare. And so John Smith, it's important that he took a lot of notes. That comes back. So he ultimately was like, OK, I'm going to check out this place called Panawick, which had apparently also had men wearing European clothes. And he ended up having a crude map that had four villages on it, uh, including a place called Pakrakanik that had a note that said, here remaineth four men clothed that came from Runokok to Okanawan. So some place called Pakarak had four men from Runokok. Huh. Could very well be Roanoke. Yes. Uh, this was all sent to England. All of this information that John Smith, like I said, took copious notes. was like, hey, we're hearing that there are Native Americans in these different tribes who are dressed in European clothing, building European houses. Could these be our colonists? Like these ones literally say they're from Roanoke. I told you spelling. That letter, we don't, I, don't, I couldn't tell if it ever made it to England or not. We know the original letter is lost, but a copy of it was found in 1890 uh, in Spain. So chances are there's, there's a good chance the Spanish intercepted it. Uh, Smith wa uh, wanted to find them. He was like, I'm going to go look for them. But he actually wasn't able to make the voyages. So he had to send other parties to do it. They couldn't find any signs of the colonists. But remember, it has been a minute. Yeah, this seems like a lot of like, oh, yeah, we need to find the lost colony of Roanoke. And like people are making these big plans. And when it comes time, they're like, oh, but um, yeah, 16, I promised this guy I'd help him move. It's been uh, four years at this point since the last time somebody tried to find them. And we're talking four years in the early 1600s, which is very different from four years now. They're all like living on the land. They're outside. They're dealing with weather. Um, I remember reading a book as a kid with a girl who ended up living in a Native American tribe and... She wasn't there for a hugely long amount of time, but she didn't remember or want to return home when her family, who she thought was dead, showed up. She was like, no, this is what are you talking about? So there could be there. It could very well be that they got to these places and everybody was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Even if they did see the Europeans who were there, they're like speaking the other language now. And, you know, we didn't always make good logical leaps. <laughs> In May 1609, England's Royal Council for Virginia was told that the colonists had all been killed by Wahunsinaka, but there's no way to know how this report made it to them. Even though that guy's brother was providing information about Virginia to this group, there isn't a record that he said this. We have no idea why they were told this, and we have no record that this guy told them that. 
Also, a letter from John Smith arrived around this time, but John Smith never at any other point said that they'd been killed, so there's no reason to think his letter said this either. A few years later, William Strachey was uh, further corroborated this, though. He wrote an overview of Virginia. He said that the colonists had indeed moved in with a nearby tribe, but Wahudik Seneca attacked them unprovoked and killed all but seven English people, four men, two boys, and one woman. So you're like, okay, so this guy corroborated it. It sounds like this, this must be what happened. Like they moved into another tribe, but then they were killed. However, <laughs> he believed that the Powhatan religions were satanic and that they could use these murders to show the forgiveness of Jesus. So I think we can take what he says with a grain of salt. Yes. And then 1625, Samuel Purchase. Uh, he claimed that Powhatan himself had uh, had been at the killing of the colonists and that John Smith had told him this. Yep, because that was definitely... John Smith never wrote this anywhere. And all John Smith did was write things down poorly. I'm telling you, like, compared to some of the other spelling in this, I'm like, I had to, like, sift on him. I'm like, what are you trying to say, John Smith? <laughs> that explains why you're having, you had your editor face on. God, my grammar checker really fucked this up. All right. Um, and then we had a guy come around to explore the Northern Carolina area. Uh, I think his name was John Lawson. Um, he went to Hatteras Island and he was, this is a long time after, by the way. He was highly impressed by how much the English had influenced the native people in the area and mentioned that several of them told him his, their ancestors had been English, which was backed up by their eye colors. Ooh. He reported that he believed the English had fully integrated into the tribe after they realized that England wasn't going to be in contact with them again. So this was basically where the Croton tribe was. And he went in there. He discovered that all of them were saying, oh, yeah, my grandmother, great grandmother, whatever, was English. And look at my gray eyes. That was the color. They usually had gray eyes, which was not a natural color typically within the group. So he's like, this was the lost colony. They moved in here. Case closed. We're good. But for some reason, we still have decided that this is not enough evidence. No. Like, they still had, like, evidence that they had been using English supplies and stuff like that. And people are like, well, they would never have integrated. They would have waited. Would they have? Would, like, okay. I First of all, there's no reason to think they were captors here. Like, there's no reason to think they went there and said, please help. And the Native people were like, yeah, sure. Like, but we expect you to pitch in. And they were like, yeah, sure. And that's just how things went after that. But when you're living somewhere, you start to take on the culture after a while. It's just as simple as that. Why speak? And when there's a hundred of you and way more than a hundred of them, why wouldn't you start to speak the language around you? As your supplies wear out, why would you try to replace them? Because they don't, they don't, your long ass petticoats don't make sense here. Your nice little like dainty shoes don't make sense here. Like they obviously would have fully integrated. I won't go too far into the next couple hundred years of investigation, but you know, there's been a lot. The big question we have now though, of course, is why can't we just use DNA? Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Why not? Two reasons. One, we don't have any DNA from the lost colonists. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And like any DNA we would have now from somebody we know is a relative, and we don't even have that. We don't have anybody who we can be like 100% sure is a close enough relative. It could be far enough removed that it wouldn't matter. But let's say we did find the bones of somebody we knew for sure was a lost colonist. Well, one, we haven't found any. <laughs> and two... That could be so old and so degraded that the DNA will not be viable. And three, we are talking more than six generations removed. By the time you get to generation five or six, at the very most, it is nearly impossible to find a genetic link between two people. So unless there's inbreeding, which, you know, 
Not too they much. were English. <laughs> so yeah, like, you know, even starting at about three generations is usually when DNA might not show a relation. But where we are now, hundreds of years later, the chances of you being able to show a genetic link is very low, even if we had a, somebody show a link from. And if we found one skeleton, what are the chances we're going to find the one of the actual descendants of that one skeleton, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we can't, we just... They'll try. If they ever find a skeleton, I'm sure they'll try. But all we really have to go on is folklore at this point. All right. So are you ready for the theories? Yes, yes, yes. I've been waiting for these theories for days. One, they were attacked by a tribe. There is a history of this, of course, but there is no actual evidence that this happened. The houses, as I mentioned, were dismantled and not destroyed. Nothing there looked like it had been purposefully destroyed. At worst, things were looted. Two, integration with local tribes. That's what happened. There seems to be a <laughs> fair amount of evidence to support that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, they tried to go back to England in the ship that was left behind. It would explain why the ship was gone when they managed to get back, although so would, like, the hurricanes and shit. But it wouldn't have big enough been big enough for everybody on the island to go back, and there would not have been enough supplies for them to make the journey in the first place, so there would have at least been some bodies or people left behind. Ah, but they, you know, they could have made it too? The Caribbean to join up with that Spanish pirate that stole their it's other true. boat. Uh, slavery and death. This one basically says that they did go to other tribes, but they spread all those European diseases, killed all the tribes, ended up, those survivors ended up taken captive by the Manduag tribes and sold as slaves. There is no evidence of this. Uh, five, this is my favorite. None of it's true. It's all made up. The colonists, there was a Roanoke. The colonists, however, were sent by Walter Raleigh or yeah, by Raleigh elsewhere to harvest sassafras. Sassafras actually plays a major role in this entire thing. Um, okay, all, all I know about sassafras is it's something you say about a child when they're being precocious. Sassafras is a very expensive kind of herb. Okay. Um, or dye. Might be a dye. Either way, like... It's a plant, that's it's part a plant of what, that costs money. That's part of what got deleted earlier. Um, Raleigh basically couldn't get away at one point with saying he wasn't looking for the colonists because he had to go back to the area anyway to deal with sassafras, like <laughs> to have people harvest it. So they're saying that he found out there were sassafras and he relocated the Roanoke colony to um, this place called Beachland. And he just made it look like the colony had gone missing because he didn't want the Spanish to find out about the sassafras. And all communication afterwards about this missing colony was to continue covering up the existence of the sassafras. Wow. I, I've had so much trouble following that because sassafras amuses me, but I love it. There's actually some minor evidence of this because in the area of Beachland, there are supposedly some Christian marked coffins. However, this still would have resulted in them integrating with the tribes. Yeah. And this is just incredibly unlikely. And I couldn't tell from what I read if the Krishna coffins exist or are just part of a legend. I don't know. It kind of fits in with this like treasonous kind of scummy guy looking for lots of money. Yes. It's like, oh, yeah, let's. let's yeah, this is fine. Yeah, they're, they're missing. They're missing. Yeah, yeah. Missing. Missing for sure. Yeah. Uh, they were attacked by the Spanish. There's no evidence of it. There was another tree, this is real, that said Cora on it, C-O-R-A, which actually has turned in kind of an urban legend around there. It's like the witch, the Cora, the Cora is a witch, things like that, um, which may mean that some of them just went to a different tribe called the Cori. So there is no reason to think that they all necessarily went to the exact same tribe. So there's no reason to think that's not possible, but chances are they pretty much went to the one. And then um, they traveled and they died. Um not all at once, just kind of normal travel and death, um, which was found on something called the Dare Stones, which were supposedly a group of stones on which Eleanor Dare wrote about their travels and their deaths. 
Eleanor Dare being the granddaughter of White. Um, they're pretty much believed to be fake. I'm going, okay. Especially because they could write back then. They didn't need stones and chisels and whatnot. Um, and then obviously aliens, ghosts, cryptids, rips in the space-time continuum, etc. Aliens, ghosts, wait, cryptids? Yeah, I can see. Killed by Bigfoots, Bigfeets. Yeah, or Wendigo or whatever else mammoths. might be out there. Yes, mammoths. They did still believe in mammoths at this time. Yep, eaten by mammoths. Um, so I think it's pretty damn obvious that they went to the Croatoans. Yeah. Um, with whom they still had decent relations this whole time. Um, and they also agreed with what uh, agreed on a code with White before he left. If we're going somewhere, we will leave you a note that will be really hard to disappear to let you know where we went. And so they left two notes. Obviously, this is where they went. Always leave a note. This is why you always leave a note. Um, but, you know, never discount aliens. We don't know what they do. I mean, it's there's so many better options than taking like a bunch of confused Englishmen. They could have done on anywhere, done anything, but well, I mean, apparently they're super into probing us. So yeah. So that is there have been three Roanokes. There was the original Roanoke that we were like, oh fuck this, and left. There was the second Roanoke that we were abandoned at, and then hopefully said fuck this and left. And then there's the completely unrelated one in Virginia now. <laughs> the end. Wild. I love it. This is a brief overview, y'all. This is a brief overview. I love it how every time we come across one of these like mysteries of we don't know what happened with this in history, and then we find that there's just so much evidence saying, no, it's just this. And everyone's like, but what if it was aliens? Like, no, we've got lots of evidence of this. Well, the thing is, though, like, yeah, it's it's weird and sad that they disappeared like this. Never, they thought they were they probably felt abandoned and he felt guilty. Like, it's all very sad. But there is so much other mysterious shit happening. Like, why did Fernandez abandon them, really? And what was Raleigh trying to cover up with all of this? Why? Like, there are so many. What happened to the 15 bodies? Like, there are actual mysteries here. Eaten by the sassafras plants. That's and the we secret. Just, and, but you can also see what I'm saying. This is an actual historically important location. And we're just like, ooh, aliens. Bye. <laughs> Now, although, I mean, I'd prefer that there was something supernatural about it because that would just be interesting. Oh, that would be so much But fun. I also really like the idea that these were scared, sick people who went to someone for help who said yes. And it's very sad that we, in the end, fucked that other group over, as we so often did. But I like the idea that at some point in time, everybody was getting along. Yeah. Oh. And then we decided to suck again. All right. Here are your questions. I'm ready for questions. One, they actually abandoned Roanoke once before it became the eventual lost colony, knowing it wasn't a good spot. Yeah, that should be on the test. Two, they weren't supposed to be on Roanoke at all the second time, um, but instead were abandoned during a mutiny. I'm going to say yes, just because there's so much other of early American colonization that was just, yeah, we got lost and ended up here. Three, White and the other colonists had agreed to a code that would be left behind if the colonists decided to leave. Yeah, that should be on the test because, again, it's like, come on, let's just wrap up this mystery. Come on. And John Smith reported that there were several villages where people uh, had European influences on their on their architecture, clothing, etc. No, because we can't give him more than one thing in a classroom. John Smith actually did a lot of shit. A lot of shit. But we remember him from a Disney movie that lies. Yeah, there was a, okay, hot take. Pocahontas, not a good Disney movie. I like the movie, but I also know the actual story. Yeah. Right, so that is uh, Roanoke. Very, Wild. very brief overview, guys. It is. This could have gone on for days and days. Read up, read up on it yourself. Yeah. 
Oh, man. Speaking of research that could have gone on for days and days. It's so hot in here. Yeah, it's, it's getting warm. Uh, I'm going to do something I tried to do a while ago, but I instead got distracted by a sex cult and uh, completely like abandoned my notes. Yeah. Um, and just to clarify, he is not talking about the episode he did a couple a couple weeks ago. We've had a, um, a difficult time lately. Yeah. I had to get him out of that cult and they kept following him with their giant wooden phallus. No, wait, no, I'm thinking about the cult of Dionysus. Sorry. No, no, this was... Oh, we actually have had a... <laughs> we did a whole episode where I talked about the giant phallus cult. <laughs> yes. God, we've, got, we've done lots of phallus cults and sex cults, but this was very specifically... Nothing says humanity like I was re- giant wooden penises. I was researching Freud and it went down a very natural rabbit hole to sex cults. Um, Austin. I'll let me rephrase that because that sounded dirty. <laughs> that sounded like something Freud would have a lot to say about. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you mentioned this because we should talk about Freud. Because if you've ever taken a psych class at any point in your life, uh-huh. uh huh. First of all, you are probably an insufferable, pedantic jackass di- diagnosing everyone around you for at least a semester. He's staring at me right now. I was. That's because I'm. You're the only thing in this room to look at. I um, actually came very close to minoring in psych until because I loved my first psych class. I went and took a second one. I didn't need to. And then that psych teacher said, the reason girls get pregnant in high school is to trap their men. I decided I did not feel like paying to minor in psychology at that particular school. I also got up and walked out of the classroom, which is the only time in my entire life I ever did something like that. You are so reckless. And then I went back to class the next week because I already paid for the class and it was past the ad drop period. And, you know, what? And of course, you also learned about Freud. Yes. Yes, we did. And I'm going to, I'll say, yeah, you should learn about Freud. Yeah. He was and still is a giant in the field of psychology. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like he pioneered a lot. He changed a lot of thinking. He like popularized this entire field and he laid the groundwork for just so much stuff that happens now. But he was also just wrong, wrong about almost everything. I mean, so were a lot of early scientists of all sorts. And it'd be really stupid of us to pretend they didn't exist. And it's like he it would be almost laughably wrong if it didn't actively harm people, especially uh, women and um, anyone who's not straight. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's really interesting on Frasier when uh, Niles takes over the radio show while Frasier's sick. And he said, but be prepared, guys, because, well, well, Frasier is a Freudian. I am a Jungian. And Young Young was also not, you know, especially correct in a lot of things. But nope. I'm like, wow, this was the 90s or maybe early 2000s when this one happened. We knew, I think, that those were largely bullshit oh, at that point. Oh, we knew. We absolutely knew. I remember learning about Freud in my psych classes in college. And we were like, this is... I, we were taught like id, ego, and superego were real, but we were also taught that a lot of the other stuff... And I think that was him. Was that Young? That was, that was Freud. Yeah, we were told those things were real. But we were taught that other stuff was fake and like, it's just, it's just a very confusing thing. So uh, let me just start off with a lightning fast TLDR of about half a semester of high school psychology so I can talk about his theories and give like little groundwork. And so uh, needless to say, I'm going to leave a ton of shit out. I'm going to oversimplify things. Please, please do not use me as a study guide. Sorry, my, my high school psychology class. 
was a hot mess. I really loved it, but it was a hot mess. Well, don't worry. This we, is also going to be a hot mess. You'll feel right at home. That was our uh, one with the head the student who lit his pants on fire. Not during class, lit his pants on fire. I'm not even going to unpack this. All right. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Freud's personality theory. That is like, you know, that there are three aspects that make up your psyche. There's uh-huh. the id, which is instinctive and operates on a pre- pleasure-seeking principle. It's just inherent in you when you're born. It's your instincts. It is the unconscious level of like driving you to seek immediate pleasure and gratification. Gratisfaction? Gratisfaction. I can't get no gratisfaction. <laughs> I don't think anybody can get gratisfaction, Austin. Hey, I'm... Uh, I'm workshopping it. It's a new word, but it's going to be in the next dictionary. The one that you write? Sponsor us, dictionary. Yes. Sponsor us, concept of dictionary. There's the the id. Then there's the ego, which keeps the id in check and is kind of the logical, like, you could do this, but maybe you should do this instead. Like, it's more grounded in reality. And the, the thing, the saying is, like, if the id is the horse, the ego is the rider. So the it is more powerful, but the ego is kind of driving it and steering it. But what does that say about the time that a horse tried to buck me off? Well, that's really about your mother, if we're going by Freud. So then there's the super ego. Talking about a literal horse here. (laughs) You only think that. My mom wasn't even there. (laughs) You only think it. Uh, Then there's the super ego, which is a check on the id and ego, and it's the learned values and morals of your society. So a very quick and stupid example is if the id wants to eat candy it's gonna rob the candy store but the ego suggests no don't rob the candy store steal candy from a baby it'll be much easier and you're less likely to get hurt then the super ego says hey let's don't do a crime it's wrong to steal candy from babies so you buy candy and the these these three competing forces in your brain are used tools like anxiety your self-image guilt shame to kind of wrestle around for control of your brain Again, don't use me on any tests. You will fail this test if you use my explanation. But that's like the super fast rundown. And it's just, you know, you develop, you start with the id and then you develop the ego and super ego as you develop as a child. And according to Freud, they're done developing by the time you're like six. I do know for sure that I have not changed since I was six. Not at all. And speaking of early childhood, we'll get into his other big theory that people talk about the most. And that's his psychosexual development theory. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. It's even worse than that. So there are five stages. First is the oral stage, which lasts from birth to around age one. It is where the mouth is your erogenous zone, which is where you get your gra- you know, your gratification or gratisfaction, if you will. <laughs> uh, you, again, you use your mouth for feeding, use it for exploring your environment. And the key developmental phase that Freud talked about was weaning at this stage in which you stop feeding from your mother's breast. That's the end of the oral phase. Because, like, up until this point, like, yeah, babies actually do stick everything in their mouths. how they explore the world. But, I mean, then he has to make it, he has to make it weird. Oh, he did. Oh, I'm not done making it weird. breastfeeding is not weird. Weaning is not weird. Unless the kid can eat steak, then it's a little weird. Yeah. Born with teeth. Full set of chompers. But, yeah, he, he does not just mean, like, normal end of breastfeeding. The second stage is the anal stage in which we are learning the control of our bowels and urination. And those are our erogenous zones. Uh, the grat- the gratification comes from parental praise about, oh, good, 
I'm so proud of you for using the bathroom. Look at you. What a good boy or girl. And this is also an early conflict between the id, which is like, hey, I'm uncomfortable. Just poop now. And the ego, which is no, hold it. Mom and dad will be proud of us and we won't make a mess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's like that's ages one to three. Then after that, there's the phallic phase. Which is when boys and girls explore their bodies and discover gender differences. Yes. And this is also the stage that includes the famous Oedipus complex in which boys like, you know, fall in love with their mothers and start to compete with their fathers for their mother's affection. And the Electra complex, which was actually Jung's term for this, Mm -hmm. but it somehow gets credited to Freud. Freud didn't even include this. He just made it up later when someone said, yeah, but what about ladies? And he's like, okay, fine. They have an anti-Oedipus complex. Which is in which they compete with their mothers for their father's affection. Yeah, he's just completely ignoring the fact that some kids like switch back and forth between which parent they prefer. Yeah, and it's... or or they prefer the one of you know gender is irrelevant. Oh, we are there. We are getting into how he wrong he is on so many things. Then the fourth phase is the latency phase, which is about age six to puberty. In which you have no drive for sexual gratification. It is all through secondary means to seek your gratification. You are not pursuing sexual gratification. It's... Between the ages of like six and puberty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's... Again, these are bonkers. I mean, at none of these previous stages are you seeking sexual gratification. No, you are not. You're not. I mean, at all, like, from the moment they're born, boys are like, oh, what's this thing? It sure feels good when I poke it. Yeah. But they're not thinking, oh, sexy. They're thinking, I like the way that this feels when I touch it. Yeah. And they're doing that between the ages of six and puberty. Yep. Then there is the fifth and final phase, the genital phase, which lasts from puberty to death. Yeah. Or sometimes longer if you're a vampire. Depends on the kind of vampire. Exactly. Uh, this is in which you, uh, you achieve independence from your parents and you go about life as a sexually independent adult. Uh, yes, starting at age 11. Yeah. Ew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And according to Freud, many psychological issues derive from unresolved issues in these stages. For example, if your parents were too strict during potty training, this can result in obsessive behavior and rigid rule following as an adult. He called this anal retentive. <laughs> I mean... In which you are... Afraid to poop because there's so many rules around it. I mean, we've all worked for that company, though. Yes, we have. And then there's the opposite end of that, in which your parents were too lax with potty training, and you become a messy and disorganized adult, which is known as anal expulsive. Some of us have also worked for that company. Yeah. And... There's also his dream analysis stuff, which I'm not even going to touch because that's just all crazy. And I, I don't think, do not have the time. No, so I think dream analysis is really interesting. I think there's something to it. I don't think there's something to Freud's version of it. No. Because I do think your dreams are trying to help you work stuff out. And that might actually include some symbolism. But sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Oh, boy. I'm glad that you're saying these things because they're going to come up later. So there are some problems with these theories, as we have already pointed out. And you're already probably thinking. First of all, even his contemporaries noted major flaws in his work. Uh, Firstly, there is no scientific or clinical evidence of any of these things. None. Mm -hmm. Zero. Is Freud the one that made people lie on the couch while they talk to? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of our imagery of this comes from Freud. <laughs> Freud! Exclamation point. <laughs> All you want is a thing. <laughs> okay. All right. 
I'm going to jump ahead of myself, but there are cold shots in my notes that are Frasier, Niles being Jungian, and Freud exclamation point with that song. <laughs> Never trust a musical with an exclamation point. Cats! Is there an exclamation point in cats? I think so. Now I have to check. <laughs> And even though there is nothing even remotely scientific about these studies, or even we haven't been able to clinically prove any of these theories, uh, Freud's studies himself that he's based these on were incredibly flawed because his subjects were almost exclusively white, wealthy Austrians. So these universal psychological truths he was talking about were at best generalizations about sexually repressed Germanic rich people. Cats does not have an exclamation point, which surprises me because you really can't trust a musical that has an exclamation point, except for one of my favorites does, Honk. What about Fame? I've never seen Fame, nor do I know if it has an exclamation point. But it's going to live forever, and you're going to remember its name. I can't tell you guys how often we reference Fame in this household, despite the fact that neither of us has seen it. Although he watched... <gasps> we didn't talk about how you watched the Brandy Cinderella. We'll talk about when you're done. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh... Obviously, anthropologists were poking all sorts of holes in his development theories and talking about stuff because they're saying that's true there. But there are these other matriarchal societies that don't have these problems or they have a different thing or like one big thing is like, hey, and th- there's this like, there is this culture in Southeast Asia in which the uh, maternal uncles are really disciplinarians and they don't develop all these things about their fathers. They develop them about their uncles. This isn't like a paternal thing. This isn't n- this isn't normal to everyone. This is a father this figure is, situation. This is, this is male disciplinarians. This is just a disciplinarian thing. This is just normal anxieties that aren't related to them being your father or this weird phase of development you seem to think is real. Yeah. People and, don't typically actually want to kill their fathers and marry their mothers or vice versa. And again, this was Although although Oedipus actually did stumble upon a real known psychological phenomenon in which people who have never met their adult their parents until adulthood and typically not always but typically are unaware that they are their parents when they do meet them as adults do develop immediate sexual attractions to them you know it's a real thing and on top of this all it's austria at the time was ridiculously sexually oppressed like it was like there was no discussion of sexual gratification no exploring it no anything about it like masturbation was absolutely just verboten to the extreme it I was i mean that isn't that just america now oh it is worse than america now it's like it was worse than victorian england i mean i had a sex ed teacher in high school who basically was the one from um from mean girls don't have sex or you will get pregnant and you will die so and so and freud was in this environment so naturally everything he countered was like oh huh everyone's obsessed with sex it certainly can't be this environment <laughs> And also, is everyone obsessed with sex, Freud, or is it just you? It might be just him. (laughs) And again, there are even further problems beyond this, because in one of his cases, there was a subject, Little Hans, who had a major phobia of horses. And during his treatment, Freud attributed his fear to actually being him afraid of his father. I thought that you said the horse bucking me off had to do with my mother, Austin. That's okay. (laughs) I was wrong. Hey, I am not a psychologist. I shouldn't be giving psychological advice to anybody, like remotely anybody, except for like, you know, all of our listeners. 
you crazy. <laughs> yeah, you are still here and you are yeah. still listening. Yeah. Um, and Hans was unaware that of his unconscious connection between him being afraid of his father and him being afraid of horses, which are big and strong and powerful like men. Remember the play Equus? Yeah, there's a lot of Freud and Equus. There is a lot of Freud and Equus. Equus is brilliant and not whatever this is. Yeah. and But when we look back on this, people say, oh, there might not have actually been this connection. It might have been Freud's insistence and questioning about his fear of his father that actually implanted false memories in Hans's mind and made him afraid of his father. This was like at the start of the satanic panic uh-huh. when they're asking these kids about all of these things and they start to remember, oh yeah, I was involved in, in like satanic rituals at my preschool. What was it called? Like the Macmillan priest, McManus preschools? I don't remember. Something like that where they accuse their teachers of like engaging them in satanic rituals. Yeah. It's almost exactly. There was, I think, maybe one or two kids who the whole time were like, "What are you talking about?" But the rest of them were like, "This is this happened because they're getting attention and getting good responses." Yeah, they think just Freud was just implanting false memories in people's brains. That's actually something I want to talk about at some point. Is that story? So, oh, it's me too. Me too. It's a lot of fun. It's not fun. Not fun, but it's. And we certainly like looking back at that. How do we still justify paying preschool teachers so little? Yeah. And of course, we already mentioned this. Freud placed way too much of what forms our personality on tr- on early childhood development. In reality, we know now that we develop our and form our personalities over our entire lives, mm-hmm. not just by learning how to use the potty, right? Yeah, like we are finding out more and more that you do start forming memories and abilities younger and younger. Like mm-hmm. like I talked about on that episode where like kids can recognize what a human face is pretty much immediately to the point where it's like, how do they know what a human face looks like compared to a non-human face? But yeah, it doesn't stop at any point. Yeah, you're you are your personality changes over time, and there's so many factors beyond just childhood development that determine it. Like yeah, Austin and I have known each other since we were teenagers, and I think we can both vouch for how much the other person is different from how they were back then. And we're both changed for the better. We have not gotten worse. Oh well, if we had dated even ten years ago, we would have killed each oh, other. Absolutely, we'd hate each other. Granted, it would have it wouldn't have been great either because I was married at the time. So. But... <laughs> <laughs> and also, the, Freud's logic behind this was also just inherently flawed because a lot of what he based this on was on his own introspection. And because it was based on Freud's introspection, there was literally nothing related to female sexual development in any of this. It was just Freud's sexual development. And I've got like two different directions I want to go with my response, but I think I'll just go with Damien. It's all for you. Because I I think you'll probably address the other one later. So Damien, it's all for you. And this is where we get the infamous penis envy. Okay. Uh, Break for Sarah to talk about friends. (laughs) You just got to a little earlier than I thought you would. A thing through which you can tinker. Or play with, or Even simply letting. <laughs> and because of Joey, and this being one of Freud's more bonkers theories, which it was even panned like the second he wrote it. Because like penis envy is the idea that women don't like men because men have penises, right? It's it's so much more than that. And let me go into depth on this one, just because it is weird and so frequently quoted okay. and mentioned. According to Freud, penis envy begins in the phallic stage of psychosexual development. It's the stage in which a young woman realizes that, I don't have a penis! Please don't take this quote out of context. And gets really sad about it. I mean, 
there are in like when kids if they see each other naked at this age they do get confused sometimes that their parents hadn't haven't talked to them about it yeah. and i'm sure there are kids who are like i want one like you or i don't or i wish i didn't have one like you but it has nothing to do with their sexual psychosocial sexual yeah. development it's just learning to person yeah and so in freud in the stage of development he thinks like eventually girls kind of get over it and accept their tragic lack of penis yeah and live i, do, I am a little jealous that i can't pee while standing up and then they live their typical lady lives of knitting and tea parties and whatever. I can't do any of those things. Yeah. I can't even whatever. But because all problems start in these early childhood developmental phases, if you don't get over this, all sorts of stuff happens. And let me count the ways. Uh, you start to hate your mother for not giving you a penis. <laughs> I mean, she has she has so many on back order. <laughs> Just what wall, the hell? Like, I've what the hell? I've seen all the penises she keeps in the drawer by her bed. Why did I not get one? <laughs> Ew. Ew. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, your mom is just a useless, castrated figure because she doesn't have a penis. Why should I respect her? Okay. Yeah. Uh, castration is also a very big Freudian theme. Why? I would like to see like a Freudian analyze Freud without knowing it's Freud, obviously. Like, here's a case study. Tell us Ooh. what you think about this guy. That would be very interesting, but well beyond our abilities on this podcast. Um, you start to become jealous of your father's virile power. Uh, and of course, you know, if this continues in adulthood, you might, you know, take up ma masculine interests, like becoming an artist, a dancer or a singer as a way of getting that super cool feeling of what it's like to have a penis. Or conversely, you might become resentful of men and their penises and start belittling men and insulting them and just hating men as a way of venting your frustrations for not having a penis. Or maybe it could just be because men. Yeah, it could just. And <laughs> also, uh, you also uh, being a lesbian is because of this too, because you love women in attempt to be in an attempt to be more masculine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, semi-related. Uh, liking butt stuff is because you relate uh the parental affection and praise from defecating to like physical. Yeah. Body. Yeah. I've heard that. Again, makes no sense. No. Zero. And now. All of this should sound ridiculous to you because it is. I have I have a lot of thoughts. Yes. Again, it was ridiculed even by his peers. Uh, a woman said it isn't penis envy. It's envy of the power men have in society. If there's any resentment, it's because of that, not because they have a penis. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good assessment of it. And again, anthropologists were like, what the fuck? Because there are matriarchal societies. There are matriarchal societies and other societies where like phalluses are used differently as a symbol and aren't just like, come on, man, come on. And then here we got trucks that you hang your nuts off the back of. Yeah. And but this all and of course, this is all that weird time period where sex was viewed as entirely masculine and femininity was just passive. Mm hmm. So again, also ridiculous. And we know differently now. We've studied we? these things a little bit. We should know better. That's the big difference here is that yeah. we should know better. And I just want to get into, and this is all stuff that it seems at a casual glance, what's explained to you, it's like, oh yeah, that sounds right. I believe this. If you don't think about it too much, it's like, you can see how a lot of these theories make sense. Yeah. And, the id, ego, and superego, I kind of get that. Yeah. it And it, it holds on really well because of this. It's easy to teach. It's easy to remember. And it sounds right. Like bystander effect. You go yeah. back to our yeah. Kitty Genovese bystander effect episode. It's like the trickle down economics of the mind. And it just... and. 
because it of all the stuff and we're all taught it, but we're not really taught anything beyond it because this is simple and easy to explain, but it's kind of a foundational thing, which we know isn't true, but is like a useful teaching tool that, and most people don't go beyond that. So people think, oh yeah, this is right. And it's also, as a result, become very ingrained in our pop culture. Like you'll hear phrases like arrested development, uh, mommy issues, daddy issues, anal retentive, oral fixation, and just the entire show of Frasier are all just very Freudian informed things. And oh, here is another note, because this is Freud never actually said sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. No, well, obviously, because the idea was that a cigar was a penis. No. This was just a summation of him answering a question very in a very long manner and a reporter summing it up. Yeah. It was just basically, it's like, no, not everything always has a deeper meaning, was what Freud said. He actually like, said not everything has a deeper meaning? Not everything has a deeper meaning. Wow. and That's then, the opposite of what we're taught about, so, Freud. Yeah. Not everything has a deeper meaning was a direct quote from Freud. Wow. Now, can we please teach that to um, a certain one of my English teachers who insisted every book had symbolism in it? Um, and again, it also pairs really well with a lot of modern parents who spend so much time obsessing and worrying about if they're screwing up their kids. And here we have Freud. It's like, oh, yeah, everything about your kid is determined in the first six years. So if you screw up now or if, if you don't potty train them enough or you potty train them too much, it's going to screw them up. And this is stuck in our psychology of, yeah, you can ruin someone's entire life with one thing when they're an infant. I mean, you can. That's usually something like you dropped them on their head from a great height. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's not to the extent of, oh, my God, I made them eat Brussels sprouts and now they're going to grow up to resent me and become an artist. All right. So first of all, guys, if your kid wants to become an artist, let them be an artist. Yeah. Two, everybody grows up a little screwed up. Yeah, you doesn't matter how great of a parent you have. Yeah, everybody grows up a little screwed up. Yeah, you can't you can't be a person without being a little screwed up. No, I like we've met people who don't seem at all screwed up and they're kind of scary, actually. Mm -hmm. So all of this stuff is he got it wrong. And but we still learn it because it's easy to learn. It's like if you've ever studied chemistry, uh, you know, the Bohr model of the atom. Yeah. Which will see like the nucleus with all the electrons spinning around in neat rings like, you know, yeah, planets it's easy to around understand. the sun. It's also very inaccurate. Yes. Because the electrons aren't going around in neat rings. They're actually in probability fields and they're jumping around between all the different layers. They're leaving. We don't know where they are a lot of the time. The reality of what an atom looks like is much, much more yeah, it's complicated. Not, it's not even like the nucleus with like the ovals that are kind of like in a no. snowflake. Although like that was what we learned in school was the snowflake one um, as yeah. being accurate. And then the, the, the Bohr model we learned kind of as a... We weren't told this is the actual model. We were told, like, this is kind of how things usually are. It's a great explanation for things. Oh, I worked on a play in which Niels Bohr was one of the characters. Um, and it's an afterlife situation. So on the ground is a big painting of an atom, which would be real cool if they had used the Bohr model and not the one that, was, that came along after he was dead. Yeah. So it's a great... And it's good because, like, Freud got the ball rolling, ball rolling on a lot of important stuff, which is why we do learn him and we should learn about some of Freud's stuff. Uh -huh. It's like he got, even though he did not come up with the idea of the, that we have an un, a unconscious mind that controls a lot of what we do, he uh, got, he was like, he kind of popularized the, we are not in control of our own minds and his id, ego, and super ego, even though they're not provable and we have a now better understanding, they're a good tool for talking about different parts of our mind and forming our thinking. And it's a great elementary explanation of a complex thing. Yeah, I feel like that's the kind of thing that actually could literally be taught at an elementary level. Yeah. Like, you've got these things you want to do, 
And then you've got this little voice that says that you know you shouldn't do that. And you got this bigger voice that says, here's why you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's and an that's a very literal elementary school all, explanation. All of these things with their, like, you know, dr- these things that drive within your mind that are important. And But for most people, this is where their learning starts. They don't learn much beyond this. Yeah. It's just, this is what they learn. And then they learn a little bit about mental illness, and then the semester's over, and you're busy studying for more important finals because this was a throwaway class. You know, I don't think, I don't remember learning anything about mental illness in my college psych classes. I learned a little bit about it in high school psych. I learned about it in my high school health class, the one with the pregnancy death. But she actually went really in depth into mental illness, other than the PCP video, which was just... We watched that twice because she is retiring that year and gave up. Oh my god, guys, if you have not seen the PCP video, if you were not shown this masterpiece in your health class... I'm not making fun of addiction, but this video, first of all, at, this was in the early thousands. Nobody was doing PCP at our high school. No. This was not, we didn't even, like, we learned what PCP was from this class. But also, he couldn't think of anything but PCP. So they're like, tell him to do the ABCs. A, B, PCP. I'm like, I don't feel like this is real. No, it was very fake, but it was also very sad. But like, she brought in a speaker for us that uh, lived with schizophrenia. And yeah. he talked about, like, this is what it's like when I'm off my meds. This is what it's like when I'm on my meds. And that I have this kind of job. You can fully function in society as long as you take care of yourself and these. Like, it was actually interesting. Oh, I'm hitting my mic. But so in modern times, the Freudian style of psychotherapy is not professionally practiced as much. No. It's uh, not because of his bad ideas and stuff he was wrong about, but because his therapy style takes years, years to resolve issues. And therapy is expensive and nobody wants to pay for that shit. Which is why we'd like to talk to you about our new sponsor. (laughs) Any online therapy company that would like us to sponsor them, we will gladly talk you up. In fact, I have probably used your services at some point and can talk about them with authority. Yeah. And it's, again, the methodology has improved in these other ways. And it's we've gotten into a more of a behavioral model of this instead of Freud's just you talk about stuff until eventually you figure out the problem is. I mean... I've been in therapy on and off for years, and that's a lot of what therapy still is. Mm-hmm. But I think I think if you've got a therapy that's for a specific goal, it's probably different. For me, yeah. it's just learn to survive as a human being. But yeah. if I was dealing with my moth phobia, for instance, I have a feeling it would be a very different yeah. type of program. Now, again, these also still take a lot of time. They're not instant. This is not a sitcom. Yes, therapy, guys, will never be quick. And if you are medicated, don't go off your meds unless your doctor tells you to. Do not do it. Yeah. They will not. They probably won't work after the first, even through a first bottle. You got to give it a few months. Yeah. I promise that they are doing their best to help you. Yeah. And again, we also, with modern medications, a lot of it is less necessary. Therapy? No, like the Freudian aspects of it. Yeah. So yeah, that is, that is Freud. He got a lot of shit wrong in like disastrous ways for women and, you know, anyone who's not heteronormative, but you know, he laid a lot of groundwork and it's like, he's just so ingrained in the pop culture. It's, I don't think we're ever going to be able to get rid of Freud. He's here forever. Just like our mommy issues. Yep. And Britney. What? Britney Spears is going to be here forever, too. It's Freud and Britney Spears are going to be fighting at the end of the world. I have no idea where that came from. I don't You're going to go anywhere. You had to go with the fame because it's going to live forever. Yeah. Come well, on, Brit- man. Uh, Britney Spears is the modern and is the modern version of fame. That's true in a very sad way. Yeah. So are you ready for questions? Yes. Now that I've bummed everyone out by being talking about Britney. Hashtag free Britney. <laughs> yes. All right. Will penis envy be on the test? Yes. 
will the fact that your personality develops over your entire life be on the test? Depends on what the test is over, but yes. Well, the fact that you probably won't ruin your your kid's entire life with a thing they did when they were a toddler be on the test? No, we got to keep that fear. Yeah, keep the fear. Keep the fear real. Parents need more fear in their lives, especially in 2021. Well, I feel like that's more of a kind the kind of thing that they would teach in a high school child development class, trying to keep trying to scare kids away from having the sex. <laughs> and will the fact that uh, how good you are at organizing stuff has nothing to do with your potty training experience be on the test? Well, practically nothing to do with your potty training experience. I'd imagine. I'd imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my questions about Freud without actually mentioning Freud once. All right. Yeah. I remember learning about him in, in undergrad. Um, we were taught that id, ego, and superego were the real, were real things. It's, they're... They're such a, they're a very basic explanation of real things, I think. Mm -hmm. It's... Because you do have very basic instincts that your brain wants to follow. And as you mm -hmm. learn and grow, you develop both a inner code and a societal code. Mm -hmm. Like, you know... But as we learn more, we learn the brain is not does not like built in that way, and our thoughts are not so easily defined. It's much more nebulous and complex than his very yes. basic model. Yes. So, what is with him being so afraid of the female body? It's again. I think it's just a he was a product of his environment. Which was, was a, he married or I, anything like that? I think he was. Like, did he ever see a naked woman? He did. Yeah, but he was just. A product of his time in which, you know, this was something you didn't talk about. And I didn't even get into about his weird shit about masturbation. Well, I'm feeling he thought about it an awful lot. Oh, pages. I read pages. <laughs> I am saving you from this. But yeah, Freud was like, he had, Freud's hangups are very clear in a lot of his work. But he did have something he could play with or simply let hang. He did. And he was very proud of it. And he was also terrified of castration. Yeah, there's some like I would love to see because I know there are people who are still Freudians. I would love to see if they just got him as a case study with no name attached to it. What they would say about him. Oh, I, you know, I bet there's a one act play about this. If oh. not, we should write it. We should. Speaking of plays, very quickly, we should need to say what, what you watched for the first time this week. I watched the Brandy Cinderella, and my takeaways, the costumes and sets were ridiculously 1990s. The costumes and sets were ridiculously Rodgers and Hammerstein, and they were amazing. And I would wear every single thing that Bernadette Peters wore. To uh, Whitney Houston uh, was amazing, but it was Jason Alexander who stole the show. Jason Alexander, I told Austin, because I was like, he can move. I'm like, yeah, he's a mu musical theater guy. You just don't know it. I just have him as like, he's George Costanza. He's this schlubby guy who worked for the Yankees. Mm -hmm. um, and then the guy who played the prince, I want to say his name was Paolo Mont Montalban. Like that. I'll just say it. Brandy couldn't keep up with him vocally. Yeah. And like, Brandy, and I, that's no slight on Brandy. She's good. Brandy's amazing. But. The problem is she got put up against Whitney Houston and this guy. And this theater voice, which is very different from her kind of voice. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And 90s eyebrows are tragic. Oh, my God. It's like, yeah, the, the eyebrows were so bizarre. But just like saying to Austin a few times, I'm like, Austin, though, imagine them doing this on stage. Imagine them doing this on stage. And, and But the problem is, as she said this, a uh, green screened Whitney Houston shot across the screen like a comet. Yes. But then we went and watched some of the actual show on, on YouTube, and I got really excited because Greg was on it. Um, real Greg, not fake Greg. Fuck you, fake Greg. 
<laughs> crazy ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Um, I just love him. I just love him so much. But I am very proud of Austin, though, because like I've mentioned before, he didn't like musicals at all when I first met him. And then as soon as Bernadette Peters' name showed up on the screen, he got very excited to watch this movie. Well, Bernadette Peters is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Like er- there's. Oh, and, uh, oh, by the way, and every because, oh, my God, in the last year, I don't know how many renditions of Cinderella I've seen. It's I don't know how many. this has happened because we both so hate the concept. Many. It is such a sexist concept. But my God, the stepmother makes it every movie. Every she is. time. That is the role. You want to be the wicked stepmother. Yeah, in this, you don't, and yet, and not in real life. But and just yet in this Bernadette show. Peters still managed to make it a three-dimensional character even yeah. in this when she has very few lines and... Um, just, and also, this is Rodgers and Hammerstein, so this is not a newly written play, and it still managed to not be, at least in the Brandy version, I haven't seen the stage version in a long time, it managed to not be super sexist. And if you actually listen to um, In My Own Little Corner, it is the most depressing musical on the face of the earth if you actually listen to the lyrics of that song, because you realize how tormented this poor girl is. Kind of like how in Annie, the line is, you're always a day away, not you're only a day away, which is why I directed a production of Annie and made it dark <laughs> because I actually listened to the line. I wanted her to do Xanadu. Uh, no. Imagine just all of the injuries from roller skates. They don't use roller skates in this version. Then They're I, in socks sliding around a stage. That's just tragic and I hate everything that just ha- you just said. But now we need to go uh, watch some Xanadu. I guess to to make me feel better about it. Or this. I guess we could watch Ever After. That's the That's one true. Cinderella we haven't, we haven't watched, watched after, yet. Ever After yet. But in reality, reality, we're gonna go watch Saturday Night Live because we haven't yes, watched we it yet. are. Oh, oh, Masked Singer. What the actual fuck? Sorry. Logan Paul. Yeah, I don't even care because if you have any standards and have not yet watched this last week, do not watch this last week because Logan Paul. This is we're talking about the dude who went into the Japanese suicide forest. And filmed people's bodies hanging from trees and put it on YouTube to get attention. And we're talking about a guy who has tortured animals on YouTube for attention. Come on! Yeah, Logan Paul is garbage. And I like I'm I am very close to not wanting to watch Masked Singer love anymore. Masked Singer. I put up with Jenny McCarthy for so long, and then you do this shit to me. Yeah. So we we are very unhappy about this yeah. right now. I I've been fuming. Um. So let's go watch it because uh, who's the host? It's uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna watch that because we do love him. Yeah. All right. So and on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.